for our class, we will continue in our series on discipleship. And you might wonder, why are we spending so much time on discipleship? This is our 15th or so lesson on discipleship. And somebody asked, um, well, I'll mention that later, but why are we spending time, so much time on this? Well, discipleship is key to the health of the church. And a huge part of discipleship is raising children of believers according to the scriptures. God has made some promises to us as believers and to our children. And so that's a big part of that. Discipleship is the mission of the church. Remember our Lord Jesus in Matthew 28 told us that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing and teaching them to observe whatever he has commended us. So we do that. And we've been talking about discipleship in the family. And as a subdivision of that, we are talking about children in public worship. Somebody asked did uh, somebody complain about too, many, too, too, too much noise in the church, and that's why pastor is doing that, this, this talk? No. This has been planned for a long while. You remember that? I even told you that we're going to get to this point eventually. So we got here last week, and Lord willing, finished this particular section of discipleship in the family uh, today. The, uh, the parents are called, Christian parents are called to train their children in the Lord, and that training is to be a God-centered training. All of life is to be centered upon God. God gets to tell you, gets to tell all of us how we are to live our lives and how we are to train our children. And we're trusting our children to the Lord and trusting that they will carry godly values into future generations. Psalm 78 tells us that we receive uh, we hear about the great works of God from the previous generation, then you, we hand that to the next generation, who in turn will hand to the next generation. Uh, humanly speaking, the church is only one generation away from ceasing to exist. Now, we know that the church will never cease to exist because the Lord Jesus Christ said that He is going to build His church and nothing will prevail against it. But we see in history and in places of, in the world where because one generation failed to train the next generation that the church in that, in that area just disappeared. Uh, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is Judges chapter 2, verse 10, where there says that the generation that came from the wilderness and saw all the works of God failed to tell the next generation concerning God, and then that generation did what was right in their own eye. That, that We don't want that. And part of... So we want... We want our children, as, as that says there at the end, that they may teach their children. We want to teach the Word of God to them. We want to teach them not just to know the Word of God, but to do the Word of God. Remember, James tells us that uh, we're not just to know the Bible, we're to do the Bible. So we want our children to, do, to know and to do the Bible so that they may teach their children as well. And we saw that one of the main goals of the Christian parent is train, training their children is for them to live a life of godliness and wisdom. Our main goal is not that they get a good job, it's not they are polite people, it's not that they can function in society. All those things are great, but our main goal is that our children will live a life of godliness and wisdom. We saw that in Ephesians 6, where fathers are... Uh, exhorted to train up their children in the nurturing and mission of the Lord. We see the warning of Proverbs 22, 6 that says that the way we raise our children generally is the way that they are going to go. So keep, we need to keep that in mind. 
And I think William Hendrickson really summarizes our duty as parents this. The very heart of Christian nurture is this, to bring the heart of the child to the heart of, this, of his Savior. So our duty as parents, your duty as parents, you know, before God, is to do whatever you can to influence your children in the gospel. By your words and by your deeds. And that brings us to the place of the children in the public corporate worship of the Lord on the Lord's Day. So we're going to review a little bit what we did last week. Then we're going to start with some new things. So by way of review, we saw that the Bible teaches that children should be in the present in, present in the worship of, worship of service. We saw that in the Abrahamic covenant, how children are part of the visible church of God. We saw that throughout the the, the five, first five books of the, of the Bible where children are called to be present for the worship of God. Often, they wouldn't say, they say women, uh, men, women, children, and infants in arms. We saw that that was true of the history of Israel. We saw in Nehemiah where, where the, the church of the Old Testament would be gathered, that the children included. We saw in Joel that in the eschatological church and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in that worship service, children are called to be involved as well. And then we saw that Jesus also included children in, uh, in worshiping him. He wanted them to come to you, so to him. So that, that we saw that the Bible teaches that children are part of the worship service. Also we see in Ephesians where in addressing the church, Paul addresses the, ch- the children. We see that also in Colossians that in addressing the church, Paul addresses the children. And remember, these letters were were read to the church as they gathered to worship. These letters were read. So Paul expected that in the reading of the letter of Ephesians and Colossians, children would be present in that service to hear the reading of the letter. So there's this, uh, this, throughout the Bible, this expectation that children would be part of the worship of the Lord because, as we saw, they are members of of the church. Any questions about the what we saw last week? This is one thing we saw last week. Any questions? Heather? Truism, think of Proverbs. These are things that are generally true, right? Um, in, 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 in America, we have several sayings. The early bird catch the worm, right? Um, it's better one in hand than two in the bushes, something like that. So those are truisms. The book of Proverbs says, generally, the way you train your child, that's how they're going to grow up to be. So those, those are things that are generally true. Experience tells us that. These are generally true things. These are warnings. So that's promises are things that are 100% always the case. I'll be your God and you're going to be my people. That's 100%. That's the core of every covenant in the Bible, the core of the new covenant. No, Jesus is also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's a promise. That's not, uh, when father and mother forsake you, I'll take you up. Psalm 27, Hebrews 12. Those are promises that always, 100% of the time, will come true. Two parts. Promises are not necessarily always brothers. God says, Heather, if you believe in Jesus Christ, I'll save you. That's narrow. That's a promise. Never fails. You believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved. Right? Very narrow individual right there. Um, Commanders of the Old Testament. Uh, the, so, so you're going to have to figure out 
create some distinction. There are some things in the Mosaic Law, so what we find in, in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and then repeated in Deuteronomy, that have been completely fulfilled in Christ. Right? So that, those we don't, not, we don't sacrifice animals. We don't wear clothes of, we don't care if the clothes is just one particular fabric and so on, because those are pointing to Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that all these things have been fulfilled in Christ, that they are there as a picture of Christ. Now that we have the real thing, we don't need to look at the picture anymore, right? So that's one thing. Now, the, what's usually called the moral law of God, the, the, the things that are universal, are for us today. And I think specifically, you may be thinking of uh, Ephesians 6, when it says that obey, obey, uh, honor, obey your parents, for it's the first command with a promise that you might live long in the earth. And, and, um, that is universal. That's a, that's a promise. Now, what does God call life? And who are the promises to? It says, obey your parents in the Lord. So those are for children who belong to him, who will have life. Whether, and it's going to be life on earth. Whether it's the, this earth or the new earth, they're going to have life on earth. So that's an absolute promise there as well. Does it make sense? Does it answer your question? All right. <laughs> huh? Yes, mostly. Mostly. Okay, good. So those are conditional, right? Yeah. Some of them, some of them do. Again, depends where you find them. If they were meant to point to Christ, then they're they they're not. But the 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 uh, the Psalm 102, Psalm 103 talks about if if you are if you raise your children in the fear of the Lord, those those are those are uh, general promises to the Church of Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Any other questions about what we did cover last week? All right, so as we continue, a little bit of review from last week. I asked ourselves, why is it so difficult? <laughs> if God wants children to be in the worship of God, why is it so difficult? And the only people that think that's easy to have children in the worship of God are people without children, right? If you had children in the church, the little ones, specifically, especially multiple ones, you're going to say, no, that was... Um, you know, not not that easy to do, and I offer several reasons. Uh, uh, w- the, the kids are sinners, so they will sin. Um, we are sinners and selfish, so we don't want to have to work on that and be bothered by that as well. And then we saw that to, one of the things I suggested that we lack faith in the Bible. We we don't believe in what the Bible says concerning worship services, concerning preaching, and concerning regeneration. We don't believe in what the Bible says concerning worship service. We don't believe that's the most important thing that we, we do. Uh, I think, uh, uh, and, and it may even be something that we're not aware of sometimes, that we don't believe that. Uh, you know, we don't believe that the Bible says that there's nothing more important we can do on the Lord's Day, that's Sunday, the Christian Sabbath, than being the Lord's house. And how do I know that? Well, often we're not here. Often we're not here for all the services. We think that we can do something better in the afternoon than being under the preaching of God's word. That is, remember, it is by the fruit that you shall know the heart. By the fruit of the tree. The fruit shows that really, often we don't understand the importance of what we're doing here on the Lord's Day, so we don't think it's a big deal for children to be present or, or not. 
Sorry, there's too many. We don't believe what the Bible says concerning preaching and regeneration. Remember I told you last week, I think the number one argument to our, to, against children being in worship, at least that I've heard, is that, well, they can't understand what's going on. Wouldn't it be better for them to be somewhere else um, than here, since they can't understand anyway, so they're just going to be creating uh, problems and so on. Let me ask you this. Can you understand what's going on? On your own, on your own power, by your own intellect, can you understand what is going on? The Bible teaches that through the preaching of the word, God gives you a new heart. You are born again through that. And that has nothing to do with your understanding, everything to do with the work of the Spirit of God. Remember, the new birth happens before you place your faith in Christ. You're born again, then you're able to believe. So it has nothing to do with your cognitive abilities. It has everything to do with God using the preaching of the word to change your heart and bring to him. You might say, that's not true. Well, it is true. The Bible says so. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, says the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Who's the natural man? The man that has not been born again. The, the, the woman who's not been born again. Paul says he or she will not receive the things of God unless God changes them. We see that in Ephesians 2, 1-10, where God doesn't say you were unaware and uninformed, and then the preacher informed you and you believed. No, it says you're dead. How much cognitive ability does a dead, does a dead person have? I'll say zero, in case there was any doubt uh, on that. And yet, God makes you alive. Would you grab your Bible and turn to Ezekiel 37 for a second? Ezekiel 37, I think, is a a classic passage for the power of preaching and regenerating the lives of people. So Ezekiel 37... This is the, the Valley of Dry Bones passage. And, and here, God is foreseeing a great battle between his armies and the armies of evil. And he's raising that army to fight. And just by implication, that army is us, those that responded to the preaching of God's word. In verse 1, Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Why do you think God made Ezekiel walk through the bones, see that they were very dry, and then record that? Yes? What? Yes, yeah, so there's no doubt. This is not mostly dead people. These are dead. Very dry. Been dead for, for a while. And then it, it continues, And he said to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, by now, Ezekiel had given a bunch of wrong answers to God in the last 36 chapters. So now he kind of, he learned his lesson. And he says, Oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> It's whatever you want, man. Uh, That's what we're going to go with. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them. Now, we think of prophesy, when we think of the Old Testament prophets, I think the first thing that comes to mind is foretelling the future. But less than 2% of their message is about foretelling the future. 
the main job of the prophets is to foretell, not, to foretell the word of God, to proclaim the word of God, to call God's people back to God, to proclaim the law of God so that people can repent and come to God. And that's what Ezekiel is doing here. It's prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover your, with your skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord of God, the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. And they lived in, and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. How? Through the preaching of the word of God. Was that because those bones just needed to be informed? No. They were unable to live, and yet the preaching caused them to live. Can our child who can't understand come to life through the preaching of the word of God? You know how we know that? Because you came. And there's no difference in the process there. Now, the Lord works mysteriously through the preaching of His Word, and His Spirit regenerates His people so that they may understand, not the other way around. It's not that we first understand, then we are born again. We first are born again, then we understand. And that's why there's hope for very young children, and that's why there's hope for the severely um, uh, mentally handicapped people as well. The Lord can work a work of salvation even in their hearts. Any, any questions on that? It used to be in the leading to the golden age of missions. The golden age of missions uh, usually finds its beginning with William Carey being sent to India in the late 1700s. Before that, when a missionary was going to, somebody wanted to go to the mission field to a place where the word of God was never preached, the church would train them to preach and this is not a joke, by sending them to preach at cemeteries. Because they wanted to engrave in the missionary's mind, that's exactly what they're going to be going to do in the mission field. And that was very sobering to prepare them to, uh, to the mission field. Well, another thing why it's so hard is that uh, we don't take the time to train ourselves and our children for worship. And when I say we, I'm talking about generally. I'm not accusing anybody. Um, but if the shoe fits, just go ahead and wear it. Um, more on this later. But how much thought did you give to worshiping today before you sat down on the pew? There is a, uh, the years ago, Desiring God put a little video illustrating James 3.10 with the same tongue that we used to praise God, we curse others, was this family uh, on a Sunday morning getting ready to go to church. And they get up, and the kids want to get out of bed, and the dad yells at the kids, kick them off of bed, they get off of bed, they're, getting, they're fighting for the bathroom, uh, they 
shove it, get everybody in the van, then somebody forgot something, they have to come back home, they're yelling at each other all the way to church, and then they walk into the church and sing the doxology. You know, it's like, yes, uh, that's preparation for, um, for worship in the Lord. So, now, truly, how much, did you, how much thought did you put into worshiping today? Did you, did you order your life so that right now you would be at your best? Did you pray for the service? The, the, all the services today. Now, all these things have nothing to do with children. At the same time, they have everything to do with them. Another reason why this is so hard is because Satan knows that right worship by the entire Church of Christ, which includes very young children, will do to his kingdom. He knows the damage that it will do, so he discourages it. Satan will be so happy if no children were ever present in a worship service. You've heard the statistics, right, that a lot of young people are leaving the church. But when you actually drill down, and it's discouraging and so on, but when you drill down, you find two things. You find that most of those are in mainline denominations, liberal, so that's good. I'm glad that they're leaving. Those, um, the, uh, the fastest shrinking church in the United States is the ELCA. Well, second, and the, the fastest shrinking t- church is the PCUSA. And they, are, they just dropped under a million members from four million t- ten years ago. So praise the Lord for that, actually. But the other thing you find out is that a lot of the children, that are, uh, young adults that are leaving the church, are leaving churches that for their entire life, all the way to 18, they were never included in the worship service. They were in junior church. They were in youth group during the service. And all of a sudden, at 18, they're expected to be part of this body that they are never part of. There's, there was never their church. So they're not leaving really their church. They're just leaving the building because they had never been part of that, that church. And Satan is super excited about that possibility because he knows what true worship of God by the people of God in, it, in, their, in its entirety would do to his kingdom. And then one lesser thing that I saw had our building doesn't help. Right? Our building doesn't help. Uh, but that's the least of the problems. There are people worshiping God in the ruins, in, in bunkers, in basements, in, in caverns, and that haven't really stopped them from doing that. Any questions on why it's so difficult? All right, so another thing that we need to ask ourselves, how do we get better? How do we get better at it? Uh, having the whole church, the cross-sectional church from the oldest to the youngest, Worshiping. A few months ago, right after Red was born, we took a picture of Memorial and Red together. Right? Our youngest member at the time and our oldest member, both in the worship service of the Lord. That's a picture of heaven uh, right there. So how do we get better at it? First, right belief. Right belief that leads to right practice. Whatever God says, that's what we are going to do. And already established that God wants young children in His worship service, in, in His service. There's something powerful, though, though mysterious, that happens in the preaching, and we want the, the children here. The corporate worship of God is the most glorious thing we can do in this life. And our children belong to the Lord, they are not little heathens. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our children belong to the Lord, that they are not little heathens? And you may say, uh, I think you're full of hogwash. That's not true. Well, let's just look at two passages, okay? 
both from the same epistle. This is from 1 Corinthians. This is how Paul starts, right? He writes, he addresses in the letter, and in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1, 2, and 3, he says, To the church of God, so that's to whom he's writing, to the church of God, which at, is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So that's to whom he's writing, to the church of God, those are called to be saints. Okay? And then we come to verse to chapter 7, verse 14. It says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. See that word holy here? Do you know another way to translate it? It's already being used in this passage, in this book. Saint. is the very same word in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that Paul uses for saints. So, whoever those saints are in chapter 1, chapter 7 tells us that children are included. Children of believers, specifically in chapter 7, are included in the saints, in the church to whom Paul is writing. Does it mean that every child of a believer is going to go to heaven? Not necessarily. But it means that they are in a special covenantal relationship with God, that they were unclean, but now they are holy because at least one of their parents are uh, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So right belief, whatever God says, we believe. Another, another way that, uh, to help us get better is to have right love. It's not all about us. I know. It's a shock. I just burst through bubble. Big revelation. It's not all about us. So people without little kids, be patient with those with little kids. We already live in a culture that gives dirty looks to families with more than one kid. Uh, if you have more than one kid, if you have two, three, four kids, you go, you go to the grocery store, people are looking at you funny like you're an alien or you know, an ignorant or you don't know what you're doing and so on. Let's not do that here in the church. That doesn't need to be present in the church of Jesus Christ. Because if that's your attitude, you don't understand God. And you don't understand Christ either. Because Christ said, let the little children come to me. People with kids, as we think about this, not about all about us. Do your best to train your little ones before coming to church. Discipline them during church so that they, the, the people around you won't be too distracted. So, see, it's all about the other the people without children are doing their best for the people with children. The people with children are doing their best for the people without children. And then I think we get better at it by having the right focus. We are the body of Christ. Understanding who is part of the body of Christ. We come before God gloriously as a whole. And so we come as a whole. If children are part of the body, they come with us. Like the Marines and the Army... We're not going to leave anyone behind, regardless of age, as far as the worship of God goes. Any questions on these three, three focus, three things, three right things that will help us get better at it? Andrew? Are you having words for the parents who may feel like, you know, they're trying to do all these things, trying to train themselves to bring them in, have a good attitude, and just feel like, no, it's the right thing, but I also feel like I'm uh, having a hard time hearing the sermon as I'm working on things. 
Yeah. So keep it up. Uh, it's one, one encouragement. As someone who is on the other side of that, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train coming towards you. So, you know, it will pay the dividends of that happening. You know, you see, you see some of our kids sitting up front and whatever, and it seems that's always been that way. No. So, I'm not mentioning names, but there was a particular kid that, uh, yeah, gave our money's worth for, you know, getting him trained. Uh, he's not here today <laughs> to protect Isaac <laughs> from false accusations. Um, so, keep it up. It does produce fruit. Meanwhile, Try to find other ways to intellectually benefit. Listen to the sermon later on again, so that you're on the same page as the whole, as the whole church. If you're doing that for a long time and it hasn't worked, bring somebody else along and say, okay, can you kind of, as if audit what I'm doing, see if, there, if there's something else we'll be doing differently that can help produce more fruit. Uh, we're going to, in the next 15 minutes, also look at some of those more practical ways that might help children, uh, families with little children as well. Does that make sense? So, anything else? Danita. You don't have to answer it all now, but think about it because you just have to look at the answer later. But you can tell you that back when kids are holy and they're single. And yet they're not going to, they may not learn how to. Mm-hmm. That whole phrase of in, but out, in, but not, or whatever. So, that way, you have to think that one. So, think of of and of or in instead of in and out. You can be of the covenant, right? You profess Christ. Do we know that everyone in this room who professes Christ is going to heaven? I don't. No, but I think you're coming to Right. So that's what I'm, the point I'm making. There are people that profess Christ that are member of the church that will not going to go to heaven, right? So there's there's an in Christness that doesn't live lead to heaven. You find that in, it's excluded in John 15. Right? They have these branches that are in Christ, and yet they don't produce fruit and they're cut off. So there's an in Christness that's not heaven, does not necessitate heaven bound. Right? But they're still branched like every other branch. So, uh, and that in Christness, Hebrews 6 addresses the same thing, is being in the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the visible church of Jesus Christ. So the children are members of the visible church of Jesus Christ. The body, this is the body of Christ, not something abstract, ethereal, in the clouds. This is it. And, I mean, not just this church, any church that professes Christ faithfully. So the, the children are part of the visible body of Christ. And, and, and because of that, they're in this special relationship. The children out there that are not part of the church are not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not observing the sacraments. They're not... Uh, being discipled by other people in the church. They're not part of the umbrella of the church. They have not been set aside for this special use of being part of the body of Christ. So they're of the covenant, but they're by their own faith, and they, they need to become in the covenant, they need to become uh, um, uh, engrafted into the Savior, not just His body, the church. So that's, that's a, a big difference that... Uh, and Paul makes that difference in First Corinthians as well, because um, he, like the guy in chapter five, he's part of the saints till he's kicked out. 
right? uh, uh, Paul says he's still part of the church till you kick him out. So there's this being part of the church that uh, is is very important in um, in the New Testament in, in the Bible. All right, uh, right practices. Practicing this teaching. Now, I'm going to start with people with kids. So a few things for people with kids. Um, <clears throat> this is, I, we don't mean this. When we encourage children in the worship service, we're not saying this. So encouraging parents to have their young children with them in worship is not the same as saying that you should allow them to be as loud as they want and do whatever they want. Uh, no, remember love for the neighbor. So that's not what we mean when we say having your children in worship service. It doesn't mean, oh, it's okay for them to be running around the back. It's okay for them to be screaming as much as they want and doing whatever they want without your attention. That's not what we mean. Having kids who are able to stay in the worship service without a lot of distraction, parents, begin not on Sunday, but on Monday. It is something that you train at home. If we don't expect them to sit and listen to you in family devotions... They won't do it here either. So if they're not expected to obey you at home, they're not going to do it here either. So training begins at home. If you don't expect them to do that at home, all you're doing in church is provoking them to wrath. Because you're expecting something that you expect of them any other time in their lives. Still, for people with kids, plan your worship. As We as parents need to take time to talk with our children through worship, with the worship service, the day before or in the car or when you get here. But to talk about it, remind them of that. They say, oh, I do that all the time. They probably know by now. How often do we say where the grape juice and the wine are on the tray? Every week? Elders, how often do we get questions as we're passing the trays where the grape juice and the wine is? Every week. So every week, walk through the worship services with your kids and explain what's going on and, and so on. Let them know that it is important to save, your, to save our best for the house of God and that the work that we put into preparing will pay off. Encourage them. Say, hey, this is worth it. That's, 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 um, it's going to be good for all of us. More practically, it is good to get all last sips of water, potty needs, and snacks taken care of before worship. And if you look in the bulletin, I actually included several tips for worship that is for all of us. I guarantee you, our worship services are an hour, an hour ten at the max. Okay, The afternoon service is 35 minutes. Okay? Guarantee you, none of your bladders will explode. Never happened. I don't think it's going to happen. You're not going to die of thirst during that hour, right? Um, so, um, in our new building, Lord willing, we will not have a, a water dispenser in the sanctuary. So, that might take care of a lot of, of that as well. If your child is crying during the service and cannot be controlled, take him or her out for a couple of minutes in order to take care of the issue. And then come back. Bring them back. If your child is chattering incessantly, even after you told them to be quiet, what are they doing? 
They're disobeying you. Exactly. It's an act of disobedience. So take him or her out, access their hearts through their bottoms, and bring them back in, in when they have stopped crying. We used to have a family <laughs> that the parents actually would spank the kids in the sanctuary, in the seat, and they hold them while they stop. That's not what we're saying here. Don't do it privately, take them out, do through the whole liturgy of, of spanking, and so on. Does it make sense? Um, I don't know that I'm sharing anything that's news. I think it's good for us to review these things every once in a while. Now, people without kids, without little kids, you also have a big role in the training of the younger kids in our church as well. Above all, be patient. Be patient with those who are trying to train their children. They already feel guilty enough and don't need your self-righteous judgment upon them because you would not be doing any better. That's just as it goes. Okay? Pray for them. How many of you who don't have little children have prayed for the little children of the church specifically as they worship the Lord today, this week? So Danita has, and I'm not asking you to show your hands, but uh, um, pray for them throughout the week. Help families with multiple little ones by befriending them, sitting with them during the services and guiding the little ones. You know, you have too many of them. You can't really reach the last one uh, from where you're sitting. So you might need some people in. You know, there are that time that you kind of have to do a gentle little stop it uh, from a distance. So uh, if there are too many of them, you can't really reach. So let's help each other in, in that. Okay. Pay close attention to this one. People without kids, little kids, don't distract the little ones by making faces at them or waving at them. Sounds funny, but it is really counterproductive to what the parents are trying to do. Be part of the training. Don't work against it. Unless love them as Christ does. Christ says, let the little children come to me. That's what he said. We need to love them as Christ loves them. We, we are the body of Christ. We worship together as one. And this is a beautiful picture of Psalm 78, verse 4, which says, We will not hide them from their children. That is the works of God. We're not going to hide them from their children. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. And that's what we're trying to do as a church, as we disciple our children. I'd love for you to grab your bullet and some share with one next to you. If you look inside, in the center, you have several tips for better. And this is not just for children, but for all of us. Pray. Now, if you think the sermons stink, pray. If you think the lessons are not good, pray. If you think the people are mean, pray. If you think the, the songs are not what you want, pray. Once you've done that, prayed fervently, sincerely, in faith, and if you're still thinking those things, come and talk to us. But first, pray. 
Because a lot of times the solution is going to be in the Lord changing us, and not everything around us. Arrive early. If you are providentially hindered from attending Sunday school, which means everybody should be in Sunday school, so if you're providentially hindered, let's say you die, and you can't be in Sunday school, <laughs> try to arrive early uh, enough time, in, with enough time to find a good seat and pray. Refrain from carrying conversation with people around you during the service. Now, in this building, every little noise becomes magnified. Silence your phone. And I mean that silence. Don't even have it vibrate because you don't. I'm sure the world will survive without us for just the time that we are together here. I encourage you to find a place to sit on the pews. There's always spot open. As I guarantee you, it's a much better experience on the pews than all the way in the nosebleed there. If you're able to sit on the pews, try that. Try to avoid getting up. Since this is what happens. A lot of times people get up during the worship service. So they will get up from here. And then, I'm not saying anything about Jerry. Jerry never gets up. So I'm not saying, you hear that? I'm not saying anything about Jerry, okay? But somebody gets up from here, and then they come and say hi to these people, and they hi to these people, and hi to these people, and then high-five the back all the way to the bathroom. Um, that's not super conducive to focusing and pay attention and worshiping the Lord. And, and it sounds funny, and it is funny, but it happens quite a bit. Uh, so keep that in mind. Things not just about us. It's about everybody else that's going on that's here as well. Um, <clears throat> If you have children, teach them. That's the only time I really think is super important for you to be talking to one another. Okay, kids, now we're going to sing because we're, the Lord calls us to sing and we want to bring praise. Now, children, we're praying because we know that we depend solely on the Lord. Now, children, we're going to hear the word of God because God speaks to us mercifully. Now, we're going to, those that believe in Jesus are going to partake of the Lord's Supper because Christ died for us. And that's what the bread and the wine uh, mean. So, keep on talking. To them, you know, we take the offering as part of worship service. Uh, as an element of worship, we believe that corporately we bring our tithes to the Lord. And there's that period in which the piano is playing and the deacons are passing the plate and we're collecting the offering. Take that time to pray. Offer not only your money but your prayers at that time, and that helps you to further your um, spirit of worship. And then try to engage actively in every element. Of worship, some people say, "Okay, it's time to worship. It's time to listen to the sermon. Let me get in my sermon listening position here, you know, so I can really." That's not the best way to to do that if you have trouble in that area. So, the Lord calls us to worship Him. That includes our children. Um, let's endeavor to be faithful to Him, and He blesses faithfulness. He blesses faithfulness. Always. Sometimes we don't understand what the blessing is, but He blesses faithfulness. Always. All right? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you that your word brings life to dead people. We pray that we would be willing to obey you in every way that you tell us to follow you. We pray for the children of our church. We pray that they would all come to know Jesus as our Savior. We pray that we would, as a church, 
be training them according to your word. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.